And now, for some of you who have been here through all, I think we, Christy and I were talking this morning as we were setting up, I think we're at like 26, 27, 28 weeks. Uh, we're at the 22nd chapter, but we had a few chapters at the beginning. We didn't take the whole chapter because we were talking about the different churches. Uh, so I think we're at like week 26, 27. This has been a big, good series uh, with a lot of questions hopefully being answered and also a lot of questions being asked that we have to, in all humility, say we don't know the answer and yet we know God is faithful and his word is true and we can lean on that and we can trust in that. Amen? Amen. Yeah, and so as we close out the, this sermon series today, uh, uh, my encouragement to you, I believe Holy Spirit's encouragement to all of us this morning, is to trust the book, which is the Bible, and be ready for Jesus. And so we're just going to dive right in uh, into this next section, which will finish out the book of Revelation uh, right now, and then uh, we'll see what God has to say to us through this passage. Verse 6, we made it through verse 5 last week, so we're picking up in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what uh, must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so we know that this is Jesus talking to the author, John. He's been receiving this revelation from God, and he's been writing it down. And, and we've looked at that over these last few months, right? And, and the first thing we get in, in this epilogue of sorts is this wonderful assurance that these words are trustworthy and true. And, he, and God was not only saying that to John, the apostle who was writing this on the island of Patmos. Uh, he, was, he was out there uh, in prison, right? And, and he was writing this book, but he's saying it to you and I today. How do you feel about the Bible? How do you feel about God's word, right? Those are questions you got to ask yourself. Are these just stories put together or is this truly the heart of God shared with his people? Well, here we see it, one of many passages throughout scripture where I believe these are God's words written down by man by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and protected by the Holy Spirit, right? The truth that's in them so that you and I can read this and trust that it is trustworthy and that it is true. And there is peace, I think, in knowing that I can trust God's word, that you can trust God's word. We can have confidence in the things that we've studied, not only in Revelations, but in, in our own private times or in other books that we've studied as a church body, but that those things are true and that they will come true, like in the case of the book of Revelation. This is about the future, what's going to happen in the future, the reality of that, and, and we can trust that these things are true. So that's why John writes that down. And as we've noted many times before, this should give us both confidence in the gospel. When I say the gospel, I'm talking about God reaching out to mankind and sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on this earth, then to die on the cross for your and my sin, our rebellion, our transgression, right? He died for that so that if you believe in him, 
You can have eternal life based on his goodness, not on what you've tried to accomplish here on this earth. So that's the gospel. If I'm talking about the gospel, that's what I'm talking about. If you haven't heard that before, it'll be brought up a few more times today. uh, and, And hopefully the Holy Spirit is tugging and pulling on your heart, bringing you unto himself. And if you want to talk to somebody afterwards, talk to your family or friends that came with you or grab Pastor Dave or myself or, or Christy or Linda, any of those people, we would love to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you if, if you have not believed yet. But that is a confidence in that truth, that good news, the gospel, but there also should be an urgency to share. So if you've been with us, and even if you haven't, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know that this planet Earth will come to an end at some point. At least that's what's prophesied in the Bible. If that is true, there will be a moment in time where your eternal destination will be based off the decisions that you've made here on this Earth. You place faith in Jesus Christ, you say, I need your salvation that you can provide, and in turn, I will spend eternity with God who wants to spend eternity with us. The other thing is you can say, no, I don't need God, there is no God, I'm good enough without God, I can do it on my own, I don't want to have anything to do with God, and, and, and God will allow that to take place for eternity, which would be eternal separation from him. We've seen that throughout the book of Revelation, that idea that there will be a time that, that, that the judgment will fall on all people, whether the righteous to go to heaven or the unrighteous eternal separation from God. And so there's an urgency in the gospel message. And you and I need to know that today. If we have that family member who's not a believer, who doesn't know about Jesus Christ, we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them today. If we have friends or coworkers, family, neighbors, whoever it might be that don't know God, we need to share the good news of, of, of him with them. And I know some of you are sitting out there and going, I wouldn't have the, you know, I don't have no clue how to do that. I wouldn't have uh, the foggiest idea of how to do that. Just tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus means to you, right? And, and, and there are ways that you, books that you can read or come talk to one of us and we can kind of help you with some wording. But the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for all people and for all of those who believe. I can talk about that all day, but we got to continue on here. In verse six, it continues, still in the same first verse. Got to pick it up here. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, in other words, right, the God of their hearts, right, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay, we see the must there, right? What must soon take place. If those words sound familiar, they should. What must soon take place has been the theme throughout Revelation. In fact, in the very first chapter, if you got your Bible in front of you, you want to flip there, chapter one, verse one, we are going to show you what must take place, right? So it's the beginning throughout the book, and now here at the end, we've heard that. It's an inclusio, a bookends, right? Start with one thing, watch out, Woo! Glad that didn't hit anybody. Uh, Dave was trying to block, or we were trying to block some of the uh, sun out, and that fell out of the window. So, all right, nobody was hurt. We'll keep moving forward. Uh, the inclusio of what must take place on both ends of the book, right? And it must take place because God is sovereign. He has said it, and it will happen, and we can plan that. So this is his plan. This is the way. This is what must take place, and soon 
Because we see here, it says, and behold, I am coming soon. Jesus speaks up and says, behold, right? Remember what behold means? It means pay attention. This is big. You're going to want to hear this. You're going to want to live in light of this. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. In other words, it is imminent, right? Nothing else in the prophetic timetable needs to take place before Jesus is able to return. It's not like we can say, well, this hasn't happened yet, and so I know that God's not coming back, so I can keep living the way I want to because I got a little bit of time, right? No, we have to believe what the Bible says is everything that needed to take place has taken place. I will come quickly, and we need to live in light of that. What does our life look like if we truly believe that? The very next instruction is keep these words. Really, it's live out the reality of the book of Revelation. Live out the reality that there will be an eternity with God. If you believe that, isn't that something worth sharing? If your decision here on this earth about whether you want to believe in God or to reject him will affect eternity... The reality of that should cause us as believers, those who have believed that and accepted that as a truth, as the reality, uh, should want to share that, right? And blessed is the one who keeps the words, meaning in your life, do what has been said in the prophecy of the book. And believe it or not, this is another inclusio. Chapter 1, verse 3 read, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's how John started the book of Revelation. And again, we see that here at the end. The assumption at the end of this book is is that it has been read, or in this case heard, preached. It's been uh, something that we've absorbed into our minds and and processed. Like, how how can this play out in my life, right? Well, now it's time to do that. It's time to keep what was written. Being, being, or a blessing, I should say. Blessing is promised to those who do that. If you will live the way you've been called to live, God will bless you. Again, not as the world would see blessings. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean you're going to even have a long life. It doesn't mean, but God's blessing will fall upon you. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's remember that. Verse 8. We're, we're trudging along here. I, John. So we started out with Jesus talking, right? Now John saying, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. You guys remember that if you were here last week. Uh, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still do filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. John, I am the one who heard and saw these things. John begins verse 8 with his signature of authenticity. John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. Uh, We've talked about that uh, multiple times throughout this study. He had a great reputation. He was well known. He was one of Jesus' best friends. 
And he wants us to know that he actually heard and saw the things that he has written here. They're fact. They're not fantasy. We can rely on this word that was given to him. And then he recalls his response back in chapter 19 uh, that I just briefly touched there. He actually fell down to worship the angel that brought this news to him. And the angel's like, what are you doing? Worship is reserved for God only. Get up, right? Stand up. I'm just like you. I'm a messenger of the news. You're a messenger of the news. But the news is about God. Worship should be pointed towards God. That's the appropriate person. Only God is worthy of worship. And so the angel says that, right? We need to be a people who give all glory and praise and honor to God. John is saying, John not only writes it in chapter 19 in that part of the letter and says, hey, I was wrong. I screwed up. This is what the angel told me. He brings it up again because he feels it's that important. Worship belongs only to God the Father. That is who is deserving of our worship and praise. Verse 10 gives us the important statement. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for time is near. I know that there are some of you out there that may have grown weary during this study of the book of Revelation. Maybe even last week when I preached for 56 minutes, right? My goal this week is a lot less, so hear me out here. Some of you might have grown weary in this study, and yet Paul's words in Galatians 9 or 6, verse 9, came to mind this week as Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this sermon this morning. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is right. Studying God's word is right. Applying it to your lives and allowing yourself to be changed by God's word is right. And it's good to study this book. So let that be an encouragement. If your quiet time is a little dry, you get up in the morning, you're trying to read God's word, and you're not getting anything out of it, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something out of those couple of verses to you at some point during the day. You're doing what is right, and good will come from it. Studying God's word is right. Being in the word is right. And and God wants his word to go to his people. As hard as the book of Revelation has been to understand at some times during this study, we know that it is from God. It is a revelation. And we need to be able to, to try our hardest to hear it and to read it and to understand and ask questions, right? It's to be studied and understood, not just by scholars, but by all of us. We can't just live on in our ignorance due to laziness or indifference or neglect. We need to dig in deeper. Let's make the book of Revelation as important uh, of our uh, part of our doctrine, the way we think about God and, and how it lives out in our lives as we do Paul's letters or the Gospels, the things that we enjoy to read, right? And yet if we truly understand what God is saying in the book of Revelation to us, it should change the way we interact with people. This is extremely important, and I'm glad you guys were here through this with us. The angel even gives us the reason as to why this is important. It says, for the time is near, Right? We need to be acquainted with these things because this stuff is going to happen. Time is short, right? And hell is hot. You've heard it said before, and it's a reality. Eternity apart from God will not be good. And yet God is offering an eternity with him to all people. 
A time is coming when the opportunity to respond to the gospel will be no more. That's what the Bible says, and we have to believe that. Right? Eternity without God will not be good, and mankind needs to make a decision about that. And yet they need to know that there's a decision to be made, and that's on you and I. We have been called to share the good news. Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all people, all nations, right? That's what Jesus said to us before he left. He goes on to say, let the evildoer still do evil and let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. What a strange thing to say. This is kind of weird, right? But it's most likely a continuation of the previous thought. The angel is confirming that there's a time coming when change will be no longer available. It won't be possible. You have to make a decision based on what you know about God. Now, we're lucky. Holy Spirit lives inside of those who have believed. But he is also a part of the salvation experience. As you or I share and stumble over our words, the Holy Spirit can work through those words and those thoughts and that conversation and draw that woman or that man unto himself. We have only been called to share the good news. You don't need to be able to trick anybody into uh, becoming a Christian. You don't need to argue them there. You need to be faithful to the calling, which is talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life and that he wants to do it in your life too. That's a beautiful thing to know, to believe, and then to do. Hell is not going to reform anyone, right? It's the final punishment given to those who refuse to change their mind about God. We've seen that throughout the book of Revelation over and over and over again. Likewise, uh, we can receive encouragement that our heavenly state, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, will be our final destination and ultimately the change in us will be our final character. Right? Sin will be eradicated. Those kind of promises are incredible. A second, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those that wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. A second, behold, I am coming soon. Listen up. Pay attention. I have something to say to you. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? And repetition is the key to remembering. So Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Okay, you've said that before, but I'm going to try to remember that, right? Jesus wants us to hear this message. This time, Jesus reminds us that he is bringing his recompense with him to repay each one for what he has done. Again, this shouldn't be new news to you. If you're a Christian, you've known that. You, whoever you talked to, whoever shared the gospel with you, talked about 
you know, the, the man and their sin and the price that needed to be paid that could only be paid by God by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, the blood that was shed, right? There was a payment that couldn't be paid by you and I, right? And so we're going to rely, we're going to lean into the blood of Jesus Christ, when, when I die, when I stand before God's throne, when he looks at me and he says, Mark Miller, why should I let you into heaven? There is only one answer. It doesn't matter what I've done here. It doesn't matter how good I've been or how much, uh, you know, how much I've given or any of those things. It's because I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice on the cross, period. Right? The blood that's shed, that's... By no doing of my own, that's what God sees when he looks at me. He sees Mark Miller with Jesus' blood. The payment has been paid. Jesus is my perfection. And I'm going to lean into that, right? Each one of us obviously encompasses all of humanity, right? There are two groups of people in that. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and those who have rejected, okay? So we know that. We see that there. First to those who have rejected Jesus and thus rejected God himself, this group of people are depending on their own works to save them, or they don't believe that there is a God, so there's no need to be saved, or they think that there's some other way to do it, right? They're depending on something other than God. And as we saw when we studied the great white throne judgment, they're in big trouble, because none of those things save you. None of those things can save you. As God opens the Holy Scriptures, he proves that perfection is the standard. My mom and dad could easily, any of you that know me could tell me that I am not perfect. But my mom and dad could tell you easily that Mark Miller is not perfect. He has failed to live to perfection right? So I have failed. Doesn't matter how good I am from here on out. In the past, I have failed. And there's nothing that I can do about that except, except the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. It's beautiful and it works. Jesus makes us perfect by his perfection. Praise God for that. As God opens up the Holy Scriptures, he proves that perfection is the standard and that those who place their faith in Jesus will be made perfect. As, as God opens the book of life, he proves that our names are written in that book. Again, we talked about that earlier in the study. And as he opens up the book of works, what you and I have done, he proves that all of us have sinned. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God, his perfection, and thus we are all in need of a savior. And praise God, that's Jesus Christ. We will all be judged based on what we have believed about Jesus. Unbelievers or believers will be paid with eternity with God the Father. Unbelievers will be repaid for their sin with eternal death. This does apply to believers, like we said. We've learned that, that even though our names may be written in the book of life by trusting in Jesus, it's a one-time event, it's a, it's a certainty, it's secure, the way we live our Christian lives does make a difference. God wants to, re, to richly reward his children at the judgment seat of Christ. 
we will not only be repaid with eternal life and eternity in heaven, but we will also be given rewards based on our faithfulness. We've studied that. We've talked about, about that a few different weeks. It is a reality. After reconfirming that he is the beginning of all life and the end goal of all life, he gives another blessing followed by a curse. Verses 14 and 15. Simply reiterate these last two applications that we've made, right? Those blessed because of their, their sins have been forgiven or their robes are white. Remember, we talked about the white robe, the wedding. Um, and, and, and so they're given access to the tree of life and the new Jerusalem. And those outside of eternity with God, lost forever, will be lost forever in their rebellion and sinfulness. Back in verse 8, John gave his signature of authenticity. Here we see uh, Jesus doing the same in verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. You can trust what John has testified to because it came straight from Jesus himself. And I hope you believe that. And I hope that that gives you a confidence in what we've been studying. These things were written for all the churches. They're applicable. Finally, Jesus assures us that the doctrine uh, of, of hypostatic union, right? It is 100% God, 100% man. It's a big word for this fact, this reality, this truth about Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man. Look what he says here. He was born of the root of David. The original readers would have remembered King David. We know about King David because obviously it's written throughout scriptures, the Old Testament, history, right? And yet he was the root of David. He was man. And yet he is also the bright and morning star. The fact that the bright and morning star can only be seen right before the sun rises reiterates his point that he is coming soon. You can see it. You know the dawn is coming. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to be able to rest in those truths. Verse 17, the spirit and the, bi- and the, excuse me, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. After stating that he is uh, coming like the bright and morning star, right? He is right there before dawn. Jesus declares that the spirit and bride say come. The Holy Spirit longs for the coming of Jesus. God longs for a world made right. The recreation that you and I have talked about uh, that's going to take place God is longing for that, and yet he is also long-suffering, and he wants people to come to know him. Uh, The Holy Spirit longs for that coming of Jesus. The bride of Christ, that is the church, also longs for Jesus. I'm sure there are days that you have prayed, I wish, Jesus, that you would just return, right? I am ready to be done with this. Whether it's the world that's going on around you, whether it's a circumstance that you're going through, something that's happened to your family, to your health, whatever it might be, you've probably thought that, right? And the bride of Christ should. Come again, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We should long for eternity with him. Come, Lord Jesus, but also 
come to those who have not yet trusted in Christ, right? Come to Jesus for salvation. Not only come, Lord Jesus, but to those who don't know him yet, come and place your faith in him. And if you, you're wondering how that all works together, look at the next line. It says, and let the one who is thirsty come. We've talked about the river of life. We've talked about Jesus being the source of the river of life. And here, John is saying, and let the one who is thirsty come. Jesus Christ extends salvation to all those who believe. It's a beautiful gospel invitation right here in the book of Revelation. Come to Jesus. Let the one who desires that take the water of life without price. Again, there's nothing that you can do or say to earn salvation. It is a free gift from God. We discussed that last week. The water of life is without price to me because of the great price that Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. The payment has been made. It's like when you as a parent give a gift to your child, the child doesn't need to pull out their wallet and pay for the gift. The gift has been paid for, right? I know that's kind of a weird little earthly example, but that's what's happened here. You can't pay for salvation. It's already been paid for. Jesus Christ paid the price. It's important in Revelation, there's a lot of reminders for us, the reader. We need to realize these things and remember these things and believe these things. And we need to have responses to the prophecy to the reality that is coming. We need to have that eagerness for Christ's return, but we also need to have an eagerness to share the good news of Jesus Christ with souls who need him. And that's what I want you to hear today. To read Revelation and long for heaven is incomplete. And I think a lot of us are guilty of that. We've done that in the past. And and we need the complete view of Revelation. We need to be able to not only long for heaven, but we need to long for those who are lost to hear the good news. John will give us a stern warning about the book of Revelation before he gives his very last words. We got a couple more verses here. We're getting towards the end. Verse 18, I warn everyone that that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if you remember back to the plagues towards the beginning of this book, it's not good. All right. So this is a stern warning here, right? God will add to him the plagues described. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And, and yet I want you to understand what's being said here and not what's not. So we are going to touch on this really quick. The, the plagues described, if you, if you were here with us, you remember them. They were scary. Yikes. If you don't, pop back towards the beginning of the book this afternoon and read it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen, right? So for those that would take words away from the book, to, to, is to be restricted in access to the tree of life. Okay? Now this is a big statement here. This is kind of scary. And there are two ways to take these verses. Is Jesus speaking to false prophets, false teachers who never really believed, right? And they just want to pervert the truth, 
right? Thus unsaved people. Or is Jesus speaking to those who are saved, but also may be uh, tempted to fall into false teaching, thus to Christians, right? There are those who take it to mean people who purposefully pervert God's word, right? These will be judged quite severely. Bottom line, right? Cults masquerade as Christianity throughout the world. They'll use Jesus. They'll pervert the truth about him. They'll make him into who they want, right? And those things are dangerous. This is no good, If this is referring to believers, though, who fall into false teaching, then the judgments described here are are likely to be temporal judgments, up into including premature death, which again, we have seen in scripture that there will, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can receive judgment here on this earth as a believer. They can also do things that would cause them to miss out on some of their rewards in heaven. Again, not necessarily taking away salvation, because we believe that can happen, but I believe that it's stating that they, uh, that they can lose rewards that they, because they won't be living the faithful life. The rewards that we've talked about in previous chapters here in Revelations. Another thing to know is that this, this likely refers to all scripture, not just the book of Revelation. It was the final book in the canon in the, in, that was written for the Bible. Um, and the word that's used here is logos, right? Which is, is fitting for the entirety of scriptures. And so what God is saying through John to you and I is do not mess with scriptures. Don't pervert the truth. Don't change it to say what you want. Don't change it to uh, positively reflect what you believe should be the right way, but live in the truth of the scriptures, right? And, and check someone's teaching against the rest of scriptures. We've given you that challenge from up here. We, we believe that this is this and, and we're all, you know, in, in some things there may be different views on, but on the things of salvation, the things of God, those things are uniform throughout scripture. And we need to be a people who know that and be aware of that. And so if someone's preaching a gospel that says you have to be good to get to heaven, we know that that's not true. That there's not truth there. We need to live good lives in response to the gospel, response to our salvation. We want to be more like Jesus Christ, right? So once we've accepted the free gift of salvation, we should desire to live like him because of what he has done for us, but not to earn salvation. Those are the kind of perversions that we need to be aware of. Don't mess with the scriptures. And John wanted us to know that, and he leaves that there towards the end of this book. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. If you didn't catch it earlier in this sermon, Jesus is coming soon, all right? He says it one more time. Surely I am coming soon, amen, right? Or, yeah, surely I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, amen. To, to, to John, uh, he says amen to this, let it be so, 
right? That's what we say at the end of our prayers. We pray, we talk to God, we say amen. That's saying everything we, we talked about, let it be, right? Let it be so. And he follows up with, come Lord Jesus. May you and I, like the apostle John, long for Jesus and his return. That should be our hearts, right? And the final verse in the Bible has one of my favorite words, one of my favorite thoughts, one of my favorite themes in scripture, grace. John's desire is that you and I know grace, that we understand grace. When you understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, that is a concept, an idea, a reality, a truth that is filled with God's grace. And grace simply means undeserved favor. You did nothing. You cannot do anything that would cause God, right, to say, ah, yeah, you are good enough to spend eternity with me. And yet he created a way by sending his son to pay the price for your sin for you and I. That is undeserved favor that God has shown to mankind. We deserve the opposite, Our rebellion and our sin, the punishment for that should be eternal separation from God. And yet he loves us enough to extend salvation to you and I. The God of the universe, the creator, the one who will recreate the heavens and the earth that we talked about last week, right? He chose grace and he extends that to you and I. He sent Jesus to this earth to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, no matter how many lifetimes we had to try. He died in the place of the sinner. He took the death that I deserved. He made me an offer that I can't refuse. Give me your sin. Give me your rebellion. Give me your brokenness. Give me your hurts, and I will give you eternal life. Exchanging all my filth, For his righteousness. Like I was saying, God sees the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness when he looks at me. Not because of anything that I did or deserved. But because Jesus took my sin, my rebellion, and paid the price. And now, for eternity, that's what God will see. Mark Miller, perfected by the perfection of Jesus Christ. God has given me life. And life to the fullness that he wants us to have through belief in Jesus Christ and only by his grace. And I think that's why John ends with that concept of grace, that undeserved favor or merit that was extended to you and I. Have you accepted the offer that is given in the Bible, not only here in the book of Revelation, but throughout the Gospels? Right? Through the letters from Paul, the free gift of salvation. If you haven't, maybe today's the day for that. Are you living in the grace of the Lord Jesus? Even those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, are you living a life that reflects the gospel truths in everything that you do and say? Maybe today, whether you are a believer already or you haven't placed your faith in, maybe today there's a decision that needs to be made. Don't leave this place without making that decision. 
The free gift of salvation has been extended to all. Take it. And then once you have it and you've been given that, live in it and let your lives reflect that.